This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. An overcast cold day for the final short track race of the season. And drivers, start your engines. Now the field in the hands of the 22 of Joey Logano. Green flags in the air. Everyone trying to grab real estate. 27, Paul Menard had to check up. A lot of damage to 47 of Almondinger. Keslowski will win stage one. Once again, the battle for the lead heats up. Here comes the two, looking to the inside of the 18 now for the lead. Keslowski has made the pass and back out front. The 18 pressuring Keslowski wins stage two. The first time that there will be lights for a cup race at Martinsville. Caution comes out, Kyle Larson. 77 getting spun around off of turn four in front of everyone. And around goes the 22. Here comes Denny Hamlin. Bumper to the back of the 24. Elliott goes around. He comes out of four. It's a drag race. They wreck behind him. Kyle Busch will win. Yes, sir. 24 and the 11 having a difference. The many emotions of manic Martinsville. Denny Hamlin disposing of Chase Elliott in the closing laps, depriving the 21-year-old of his first career win. Hamlin's teammate Kyle Busch there to take advantage. Busch pulling off only the second last lap pass in Martinsville's storied history, a move that sent him to the championship four for the third straight year. And after the race, a tense exchange between Hamlin and a normally reserved Chase Elliott. Hamlin would later issue a lengthy written apology on social media. With some of the best short track racing that the sport has seen, the round of eight is underway. And while Martin Truex Jr.'s point situation looks pretty dandy, more will be decided over the next two weeks at Texas and at Phoenix. Welcome into NASCAR America, everybody. Carol Lomano joined by our race analyst, Jeff Burton and Steve Letarte. Jeff, where does Sunday's race rank for you among the best you have ever seen? It was way up there. I can't put a number on it, Carol, but I can tell you that certainly from the start, the green flag dropped to the end of the race. And it wasn't just all the madness we saw at the end of the race. It was constant battling uh, for the lead throughout the field the entire race. It was really one of the most fun races I've ever been to, ever watched, ever witnessed. It was, it was a lot of fun to be there. Yeah, Carolyn, it was so much chaos. And I watched it again today just to try to refresh myself on everything because the end was so crazy. But, but like Jeff said, there were at least 400 or 450 of the 500 laps where there was a battle for the lead within a second all day long. So it was a rewatch for sure. That is why you're our resident crew chief. Just doing your homework, start to finish. You are all in the details. We're going to get to the race winner, Kyle Busch, but we're going to start with the moment that everybody is still talking about. It happened on lap 497. Chase Elliott and Brad Keselowski were leading the field on the restart. And Brad Keselowski has chosen the outside line for this restart. Short track racing at Martinsville. Four to go. 24 with a great restart. Up the racetrack he goes. Side by 
right side for the lead down the back stretch. Way up the racetrack goes Chase Elliott. He opens the door down below. Here comes Denny Hamlin. Elliott has the lead, but Hamlin looks to the inside. Elliott diving, trying to block down the back stretch again. Less than three to go. The bumper to the back of the 24. Elliott goes around. Hamlin takes the lead, and the caution comes out. Yep, he definitely wrecked me. See right here, Denny Hamlin all in the back of the 24. He checked up way early. Yeah, 10-4. Remember how aggressive these drivers have been up to this point, and now the aggression even more because there's a spot in the championship four for a playoff driver. Did that, what happened, what I think happened, or am I skewed? No, he's the one on your bumper and cracked you. That's what I figured. 10-4. Good to know, thanks. 24's waiting on us on the back stretch wheel, so to keep the guys close. Just after the checkered flag came out, going down the backstretch, you see the 24 showing his displeasure and how he was raced by Denny Hamlin, and then it was time to talk about it. Smart, be smart, be smart. Denny, what happened? I got in the back of him, and he spun out. Uh, but um, trying to get uh, trying to get a race win, but you know, it's uh, everybody wrecked everyone there at the end. It was complete, you know, bullshit chaos, and just uh, I got in the back of him and. And he spun out, and somebody got in the back of me, and I wrecked too. It's, it was just, it was a mess at the end. I mean, no, everybody was doing the exact same thing. Uh, I hated for his team. I understand they're, they're you know, had a, a win for a long time coming, but this is a, a ticket to Homestead, and I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sitting here uh, saying that I wrecked him on purpose, and I tried to move him out of the way, and he spun out. Well, he didn't make the corner because I had his back end jacked up. That's for sure. Um, but uh, I, I just, I was extremely loose. I got in there too hot and I got in the back of him. Denny just said, you know, we just got in there too hot, got into the back of you. How did you see things? Yeah, well, uh, you know, he came over and talked to me on the back straightaway. And funny thing was, he said somebody was pushing him and wasn't two car lengths between him and the next guy. So uh, my mom always said, don't say nothing. You don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So he's not even worth my time. We're going to go on to Texas. Well, it's just unnecessary. I mean, we had a had a clean restart. Brad and I were racing hard for the lead, and, and there was no one pushing him into turn three. So I, I wanted to see the replay. That's what I thought happened, and that's what happened. And um, it's definitely 100% unnecessary and uncalled for. You know, we had a great car today, and, and we had an opportunity. Had a good restart there at the end and felt like I was uh, doing what I needed to do. And, uh, you know, I, I can't control his his decisions and, and whatever whatever the hell that was. So uh, on to Texas. Later on Sunday night, Hamlin posted a lengthy statement to social media in which he apologized to Chase Elliott and the 24 team. He said in part he didn't intend for the incident to work out the way that it did, but that he was responsible for his car and that he takes the blame. First, Jeff, before we get into this, you're up in the booth calling this race. Your initial reaction, the first thing that went through your mind when you saw this wreck. Well, Carolyn, first of all, I want, to, I want to clarify that I've been in those wrecks where people that were on the outside came to a conclusion and they didn't know what they were talking about <laughs> and, and they had it dead wrong. Uh, so I always look at wrecks kind of in the sense of, well, you know, I think what I saw, but it isn't always what, you know, what I thought I saw. So I initially thought that Denny Hamlin, you know, just got in the corner too deep. The 24 blocked him. 
that halfway down the straightaway and the 11 car said, I'm not having anything to do with it and got into the back of him. That was my initial thought right there. You see the, 11, the 24 had, had moved down the racetrack halfway down the back and I thought, well, he made Denny Hamlin mad by blocking him. And, and the end result was that the, the 24 went around. Steve, forget about the, the blame here, the who's right, who's wrong. Why did we see something like this happen? Well, I think Denny Hamlin answered that very quickly in his interview. And what did he say, Jeff? He said, well, there's a ticket to Homestead on the line. I think NASCAR has created this playoff format that I'm a huge fan of. You and I have had this discussion. We didn't think race car drivers could drive any different. And I think we've been proved wrong week in and week out. And this is just one more example of it. Denny, in his own apology, says that he had never spun the leader to win a race. I don't know if that's true. I haven't watched all the races he has run. But I can't remember a time when Denny Hamlin has made obvious contact. But that's what it was – Sunday night at Martinsville, it was obvious to me that he had a plan. He was moving the 24 out of the way. Does, do I think he meant to spin him out? No, because I don't think that helped Denny Hamlin. But you can't attempt to move a guy up one or two lanes and then, you know, feel bad that he couldn't save it. Like when you hit the bumper, you're the guy responsible, and that's what he said in his apology. But I think that's what the why is, Carolyn. It's the chaos of the playoffs and what is on the line. It's that golden ticket, that magic ticket, the guaranteed spot in that final four in Miami. Playoffs. It's it, it just – We've never been here before. I mean, this is a new environment. It's something new, and it's going to test the values and the morals of the race car drivers, the crew chiefs, and everybody involved. When there's a championship on the line, you're going to do things that you otherwise wouldn't do. This was a mistake by Denny Hamlin thinking he could move Chase Elliott out of the way on corner entry. That's just not going to work. If you want to move him out of the way, get to the center of the corner, give him some shots, you know, move him out of, the, out of the way that way. You can't get a guy out of the way by pushing him into the corner at Martinsville. You're, you're putting him in a very, very vulnerable position. Now, Carolyn, let's don't forget now, Chase Elliott took the lead with an extremely aggressive move, ran Keselowski way up the racetrack to get the lead, but he didn't wreck him. And, and, and Hamlin just messed up. I really don't believe that Denny Hamlin said, I'm going to wreck you. Right. I'm coming in this corner to wreck you. I believe that he drove in there trying to move him out of the way, which, by the way, I think Dale Earnhardt did that to Terry Labonte at, <laughs> at, at Bristol one time, tried to move him out of the way, and Chase Elliott spun out and got wrecked. And it, the, the blame clearly is on Denny Hamlin's shoulders, as he admitted. So, Steve, you both have said playoffs, plain and simple, but should a new playoff format come with a new defined set of rules for how drivers handle these situations on the track? So, Carolyn, I crew chiefed in the garage for over 10 years. I was involved with a team with over 20. And what I learned over 20 years is the only ones that really know what happened on the racetrack are the race car drivers. Uh, the spotters think they can help, they can assist, but they aren't driving the cars. Crew chiefs, we can coach up and try to control the emotion. But the simple fact is the guy standing next to me, he knows when he was on the brake or he was on the gas, what he was doing with the steering wheel. Both those gentlemen right there on your screen, they know what they were trying to do with their race cars. And I think that I am fine if the unwritten rules, the gentleman rules have to be rewritten, but they have to be rewritten by the competitors on the racetrack. And they do that with their actions. It goes all the way back to retaliation between Matt Kenseth and Joey Logano. It goes back to we've seen truck races, one with controversy this year because making the playoffs were on the line. This is something that I think I struggle with. And, Jeff, you and I have had this conversation because this format drives, as you pointed out, the question of these guys' morality. And, and there are not ink on paper rules. This is how you want to be raced. And I think the only ones that can decide that are the men behind the wheel. And the reason why, Carolyn, is because Steve and I standing right here next to each other. We have a great deal of respect for each other. But we may completely disagree on what is acceptable in this, in this situation. 
And NASCAR is not going to step in, nor should they, and set a rule and says, you know what, if you spend this guy out on purpose, we're right. going to penalize you. Because what if you start that, now you're judging events, you're judging racing, and, and that is not good. I've been part of that. I've witnessed part of that. That's not good at all. So it's, it's the values between one driver and another driver. And, you know, some fans would say if they were a Denny Hamlin fan and he won that race, they'd be saying, my guy – did what he had to do to win, and I'm proud of him. Other people are going to say, that was ridiculous. It was, it was uncalled for. So it's really the beauties in the eye of the beholder, right? <laughs> and in this case, you're going to have different opinions within the drivers and within the driver community. But clearly, I think it's fair to say that wrecking someone to win a race or win a championship is going to be viewed as pushing the line. And, and, but, you know, we're defining these 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 rules as this as this playoff format develops. As far as storylines for the year go, we saw something happen in the stands as well on Sunday that we haven't seen before. And our cameras caught something when Denny Hamlin was being interviewed on the big screen right after the race that we're going to show you for the first time. You see Chase Elliott here? So the crowd was cheering for him at the end of this race, which I know, Stephen Jeff, you heard. And this is him amping up the crowd. He was so frustrated. But his body language, Steve, Chase Elliott, what did we see last night from what he said and what we did that we have not seen before from this driver? I finally saw a frustrated Chase Elliott that was ready to stand up for himself. He did nothing wrong. He led Martinsville throughout the day. He had a chance to win that race, and Denny Hamlin took it away from him. And he took the opportunity because we all know the simple fact is that, Jeff and I agree, NASCAR doesn't need to be getting involved. This is something that's going to play out in the court of public opinion. And that was Chase Elliott right there saying, you know what, I have every right to sway the jury. And the jury are the fans that are standing in the stands. And they made it very well known. They were already brewing. I loved it. Why not? Go out there and let it know. He doesn't, there's absolutely nothing wrong. If anything, that's exactly what this sport has needed as the personalities that made it famous. Chase Elliott had that opportunity. He took it. And whether whichever side of the fence you're on, that's the type of emotion I think we're looking for out of these drivers. Yeah, and I appreciate, listen, I appreciate Chase Elliott almost always saying, I did something wrong. I was a guy that didn't let us win. It was on my shoulders to the point of almost like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> right. you know, enough's enough. But what I saw on Sunday was him looking Denny Hamlin in the eye and say, you wrecked me. And, and, and I was glad to see that because that's what happened. He got wrecked. And, and he should stand up for himself. And people are going to say, well, he ran in the side 11 car and his window net was down. It was dangerous. It's a short track. They're going 20 mile an hour. All that was fine. I'm glad that Chase Elliott showed his emotion and stood up. Stood up to Denny Hamlin. This is nothing against Denny Hamlin. I don't care who it was. Stood up to whoever put him in that situation and potentially took an opportunity to win a championship away from him because he wrecked him. Didn't move him out of the way. Didn't let him battle, and fin battle for second. Wrecked him to the point of having a terrible finish, he should have stood up for himself. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the voice of safety saying it's okay for two drivers to bump their cars together with the window nets down, even if the speeds I've are done, slow? Uh, I've done worse than that, Carolyn. I <laughs> promise you. All right. Well, the circus now uh, packs everything up and moves on to Texas Motor Speedway. And the track president there, Eddie Gossage, is a master of promotion. He has been all over this. His track tweeted this out that last night, see you in Texas. And then today, from Gossage himself, this is him 
the master working on an idea at his desk. And then finally, we saw all of that come to fruition. Here's what the idea was. Chase Elliott declared by Gossage as the people's champion, stars and stripes to boot. So here is what the so-called champs crew chief, Alan Gustafson, said after the race. Chase said that he was, uh, you know, that he thought it was unnecessary with Denny. And Denny said, racing for the, you know, position at Homestead in the playoffs. And, you know, how do you see it? I'm cool with it. He just, he, you know, when we have his back tires jacked up going into probably three at Texas, that'll be a bigger corner. Uh, then just be good with that, too. All right, so Alan Gustafson uh, hinting at the payback. That brings us to our poll question of the day. Would you like to see Chase Elliott retaliate? Would you like to see him retaliate? And you can see right now on NBCSports.com slash NASCAR vote, an overwhelming majority saying yes. They want to see that. You can continue to vote. We'll give you the final results at the end of the show, although right now I'm not sure there's much disputing what the end result is going to be. But, Steve, <laughs> in the heat of the moment, you just heard Alan Gustafson basically intimate that retaliation could be coming as soon as Texas. As a crew chief, is that something that you see him giving a bit more thought to with what's at stake in the playoffs this weekend? Well, I think that Chase Allen, Alan Gustafson, and perhaps even the spotter will have a conversation. Those are the three voices that are on a radio. Those are the ones that can at least try to temper the situation if it does kind of occur during the race. But I do think that while it might not be retaliation as far as you wrecked me, I will wreck you, I would expect that the 11 should give the 24 a little extra space. And if I was the 24, I would take every inch. And that can be on restarts. That can be during practice. That could perhaps be during qualifying, during pit pick. There are a lot of ways to make it an uphill battle for someone to try to make it to Miami, and I could see no reason why the 24 wouldn't do that to the 11 team. There's levels of retaliation. That's right. There's, there's what we saw at Martinsville with Matt Kenseth and Joey Logano. That's not going to be accepted. That, that's not, we saw NASCAR is going to step in in that situation and not – you can do it, but if you do, you're going to wish you hadn't have. Uh, the way you retaliate from pe- to people that in racing is that when you have an opportunity to have success and that's the guy standing in your way – He's no longer in your way. And, and, and that's hard racing. That, but you can't just lay out for somebody and come out on the racetrack and just intentionally wreck the guy. You have to race a guy uh, with respect, even if you're mad at him. But remember, if you need some help and he happens to be the guy that you need help from, you're going you're gonna to take it. And, Carolyn, listen, the racing gods have a funny way of working. I would be shocked if uh, the 24 and the 11 didn't ride in the pre-race truck together. Oh, it's scary. Didn't start the race to beside one another. And somewhere in the final restart, they're going to be either door-to-door or nose-to-tail. It just seems to be how it always works out. You know what? We that need to look what... at the points because they're probably in the garage together. I was I mean, going to say, <laughs> I'm waiting for that. Just put them together as many times as possible. We'll worry about that as we get closer to the weekend. For today's show on NASCAR America, it is all about the emotion of Martinsville that we saw a blissful Kyle Busch in victory lane after executing a last lap pass on his teammate and holding off Truex for the win. Joey Logano seeking restitution for a season gone wrong, but should he have stayed out or pitted after a tire rub late in the race? An aggressive Ryan Blaney provoking a steely veteran in Kevin Harvick, who was quick to return the favor with hard racing between the 4 and 21 late in the race that led to words on pit road and leave it to Dale Earnhardt Jr. to sum up what we felt on Sunday just perfectly, why he loved yesterday's race at Martinsville and why he thinks NASCAR needs more races just like it. Wednesday night is rivalry night. Claude Giroux leads the Flyers into Chicago to face off against Patrick Kane and the Blackhawks Flyers and Blackhawks. That's Wednesday at 8 Eastern, and that one's right here on NBCSN. 
Emerging from Sunday's late race pandemonium at Martinsville was Kyle Busch, who made his move in overtime and then held on to claim his place in the championship race at Miami. Hamlin surges ahead. Clearly out front, the 18 running second. Truex in third. Now here comes Boyer fighting back on the inside. A little bump there out of the 18. Side by side as they come back to the stripe. White flag in the air. Kyle Busch on the inside. Kyle Busch up the racetrack. He moves the 11 up. Here comes the 78 of Truex Jr. Into the final turns. Martin Truex Jr. has never won on a short track. As he comes out of four, it's a drag race. They wreck behind him. Kyle Busch will win. Yes, sir. Checkered. And fans at Martinsville had to endure some chilly temperatures as the day turned into the night, but they got their money's worth. Kyle Busch narrowly edging Martin Truex Jr. for the win. Four other playoff drivers opened the round of eight with top ten finishes. Jimmy Johnson scored eight stage points, but he wasn't a factor at the end. He finished in 12th. And then there's Chase Elliott. Forced to take a 27th place finish after a golden opportunity went away in his incident with Denny Hamlin. Plenty of hurt feelings after this one, but Kyle Busch had a lot to smile about in victory lane. A lot more attention on everybody else than us right now, so uh, it's just a great win for this whole M&M's Halloween Toyota Camry. Um, awesome to get to victory lane here at Martinsville. You know, I wanted to win Charlotte, Martinsville, and Homestead, and That'll make us this year's champion. So um, we've got uh, we've got one of the one of the three. Our guys did an awesome job preparing this car. We weren't the best all day, but we put ourselves in the right spots there at the end. And there was kind of chaos ensuing, and none of it was our fault. We just came out on the right end of the stick, you know. So uh, we can go out there and race for wins and um, and try to get more, of course, and uh, and just let everybody else have to worry, you know, and, and not give them a, a chance to breathe and, and get their their heads on their shoulders going into that week at Homestead. Here's the playoff leaderboard after Sunday's race. Kyle Busch on the Miami. Martin Truex Jr. and Brad Keselowski in good shape. Kevin Harvick holding the final spot in the championship. And Chase Elliott has a big hole to climb out of over the next two weeks. So, Steve, now we get to give the race winner his credit. The 18 team has three weeks to prepare for their third straight trip to Homestead now. How do you think they should handle the next two races? Well, I think without a doubt, you said it. It's preparation for Miami. I think that Phoenix doesn't have a lot to do with what could happen at Miami. Texas, perhaps, while it's very unique racetrack, newly paved, very asymmetric, I'm not sure there's a lot you could do there unless it's an engine or an aero thing. Setups will be different than Miami. So now I think it's all about preparation, reviewing past notes, reviewing the test information, just understanding what you need to run well at that final race that will decide the champion. But in all of that excitement and the crash between Denny Hamlin – and Chase Elliott, I think everyone forgot that Denny Hamlin led the white flag lap at Martinsville. And, and <laughs> Kyle Busch went up there and took it away. And he didn't race him like a teammate, which was just wonderful for me to see. It was two drivers looking for that golden ticket that we keep referring to. And right here, entering turn one, the 18 drove in deep and knew he may not hold the bottom. I don't think he drove to the second groove on purpose, but he was well okay with it because when he gets to this end of the racetrack, he clearly runs a groove and a half up, Jeff, not giving the 7-8 an opportunity to get to his door. Yeah, that was a smart move. <laughs> you know, had he tried to pinch off Martin Truex Jr., Martin Truex had just watched Kyle Busch move the 11 car out of the way. So that, to me, as a driver, that gave me permission to move you out of the way. So Kyle Busch was smart and just stayed up high and, and didn't let the 78 get in his door. But I, I think that for the 11 car, I think it's more mental than anything else. I mean, I'm sorry, the, the uh, 18 car with Kyle Busch and his team. They just need to stay in the game. Yeah. They, need, they don't need to take any weekends off. They, they know they're going to Homestead. 
but they need to continue to put that pit crew in pressure situations. They need to continue to put themselves in pressure-filled situations and stay on kill, keep the intensity level turned up, so that when they go to Homestead, it's really nothing different. I, don't, I just don't think they should get off their game. I think they should just keep doing what they've been doing. Jeff, we know the story with Martin Truex Jr. With the points that he is amassed, he is basically at Homestead. However, with the way that he ended that race last night, do you think that he was maybe implementing some strategy as well, not being as aggressive going for the win as maybe he could have been? Or is that just Kyle Busch, you know, earning the victory outright? Yeah, I, I think, I, again, I think if Kyle Busch would have pinched Martin Truex Jr. off, that I think Martin Truex would have been in the door of, of the 18. But, but that's not what happened. And, and Truex is going to have to go way up the racetrack to get, it, to get Kyle Busch. I don't think that it was thought out that, that, you know, that far in advance, Carolyn. When, when they drop the green flag and you're coming to get a victory, the only thing you're thinking about is checkered flag and, and, and your willingness to do whatever it is. I don't think that he drove in the corner and said, Okay, I don't want to make anybody mad. But, you know, I don't think it was any of that. I just think that Kyle Busch did a really good job, and Martin Truex Jr. wasn't willing to go way up uh, out of his groove to get inside of the, uh, of the 18. I do think that Martin Truex Jr., though, went into Martinsville with the goal of a decent run and no enemies. Oh, yeah. Because the last thing he needed is enemies going to Miami, and he did just that. I mean, at one point, going down the backstretch, I thought to myself, somehow the 78 of Martin Truex Jr. is going to win this race. He was inside the 18 car, and, and it was just beyond me how he could do it. But when I went back and watched the race today, he did it because he just was around. He didn't beat and bang. He kept his fenders on it. There were so many highlights all day long, and somehow Martin Trex Jr. kept himself off the highlight reel and just kind of persevered through. And I think that makes this car even more dangerous because this is a track that he was supposed to not run well at, a track that he shouldn't have been in the winning picture but yet he was, and I think that's just one more little, you know, marble in the jar of momentum. Just one more thing for Cole Pern and Martin Trex Jr. to hang their hat on and says, oh, well, now we're going to Texas, a mile and a half. This should be great, and we have all these points. So it's more than just the points. It's I don't see any, you know, nick in the armor of the 78, and that's what I was thinking we would see at Martinsville and it never showed up. Well, Truex was not the only one that had an opportunity to get that win. Brad Keselowski did as well. And we're going to hear from both of those drivers and break down their days at Martinsville when we come back. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. So our Hall of Fame show this week features a pair of future teammates from Hendrick Motorsports, William Byron and Alex Bowman. We're going to trace their racing routes and talk to them, get the outlook for next season. Don't miss this one. It's Wednesday, 5 p.m. Eastern, right here on NASCAR America. Byron and Bowman represent half of the Hendrick Motorsports team for next year. The other half is Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott, both of those drivers battling in the round of eight. Johnson, three points below the cut line right now. Elliott, 26 points below. Let's hear from two drivers in considerably better shape, Brad Kozlowski and Martin Truex Jr. You know, there's a lot of hard fighting here. It's a short track, and, uh, you know, that's that's what short tracks are kind of about is, uh, you know, hard fighting, a little bit of gouging. You, you try not to take anybody out, but you got to sometimes rub a little bit, and uh, who's to say one's too far and who's not? I don't know, but uh, we had a really great uh, Lions Truck Parts score. We were able to lead laps, you know, win the two stages and, and bring home a solid finish, and that's something to be proud of. Everybody's just desperate. You know, the, you got two or three cars that are so much better than everyone else on a mile and a half that this is your race to get it done, and uh, I think we all know that. Yeah, it was interesting for sure. The guys just, you know, seemed like everybody just um, overdriving the entry there, you know, trying to just trying to make something happen, a wheel hopping, getting into each other. I, 
I had a shot at it there and uh, got inside of Kyle off of two and into three and just couldn't quite get off the corner with him and get the power down. So uh, congrats to those guys. But what a wild race and uh, crazy the way it all finished. But proud of everybody on our team for uh, for coming here and working hard and um, overall solid weekend. So second was a little little bit of a gift, but you know we ran top five, six all day long and uh, that felt good. Brad Kozlowski just summed it up. Everybody is desperate. And as the championship draws closer, every stage point becomes more valuable for the playoff drivers. Brad K swept both stages Sunday at Martinsville. He got the maximum 20 points. Martin Truex Jr. didn't lead a single lap, but he still earned 13 stage points. So, Steve, Brad Kozlowski and his crew chief Paul Wolf said before Sunday's race that Martinsville was a must win for them. Are the points that they have right now enough for the two team to get to Miami if they cannot get a win in this round? I think that those points earned in the stage, as you just pointed out, Carolyn, are enough to give them a chance at Texas to run better. And I think that's really what the two cars talking about. What I mean by that is that they have not run well at the mile and a half. At Charlotte, they were really not good at all. And that is the fear is that these other seven playoff cars are all going to be up there running in the top, say, seven, eight, nine positions. And Brad Kozlowski is going to be back there in 15th or 20th out of those stages. So why I agreed with the statement that they had to look at Martinsville as a must win and they didn't win. They ran well enough not to eliminate themselves, if you can kind of follow that circle, Jeff. So I think now the big hinge is I think they have an okay shot at Phoenix. The big question is Texas. They have to run better than outside the top 15. And I think those stage points give, give them that chance. If they can go run, say, 8th, ninth, 10th, they can kind of still have a chance going to Phoenix. That's right. What about Jimmy Johnson, Jeff? He picked up eight stage points on Sunday. They had their issues from qualifying on. What do you take from the 48th performance at Martinsville? They better run well at Texas. I, I just, you know, I, I, I just was very I, – I don't know where to stand on the 48. I want to say they're not good enough to go to the next round, but it's Jimmy Johnson and Jack and House. <laughs> I can't make myself say it. But nothing in me shows that they're running well enough to beat the people they have to beat. And ultimately, that's what it's about. They caught a break. Uh, they caught a break in the first round for sure. Uh, you know, yesterday they, they weren't in the ball game at all. I know that they used good strategy to get some points in that first stage, but it wasn't because of the performance of the car. They're missing something. It's just not all there. So they're going to have to go to Texas, and they're going to have to either do something remarkable so that they are going straight to Homestead, Miami, or they're going to have to earn enough points so the pressure's not completely on at Phoenix because they just don't have the speed that everybody else has. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to say that, but the facts don't lie, and it's just they are where they are. All right, I'm not reluctant. I'm off the Jimmy Johnson boat. <laughs> I'm in the lifeboat. Um, Martinsville was the one. Um, they did wonderfully in the first stage between strategy and driving to get their track position after starting last. You just saw the accident in qualifying. A track that I feel it doesn't come down to arrow or engine. It comes down to, you know, setup and driver and crew chief and communication where I thought the 48 would excel. They didn't excel. They were the weakest playoff car there. So I'm not saying they won't make it to Miami because they still have a mathematical shot. They're actually right there on the cut line. But if they make it to Miami, it's going to be because of the underperformance of other teams. I don't think the 48 has the firepower to go out and overperform to go run in the top five. So a big accident, something crazy, which could happen. It might put the 48 into Miami, but they're not going to just drive up through the field and take it. That's where I was last year, and he won a championship. That's why I'm I'm cautious. (laughs) I waited, though, Carolyn. I waited all the way to race 33 before I jumped off the boat this year. Yes, we appreciate that. And, of course, we have the tape. So whatever happens this weekend, we'll be happy to play it back for both of you guys to remind you how you feel in this present moment. But for for now, we're going to keep going through the playoff field. We're going to revisit some of the tension between Ryan Blake 
Delaney and Kevin Harvick both came home with top tens after battling each other on the track. But is this something to watch or nothing to worry about the way that they were racing each other on Sunday and the words they had afterwards? We'll talk about that next. Sunday's incident between Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott conjuring up memories from Martinsville two years ago between Kenseth and Logano. This time around, it was Kenseth's teammate, Denny Hamlin, wrecking Chase Elliott with three laps left in regulation. Here's what NASCAR's executive vice president, Steve O'Donnell, had to say about that on Sirius XM Radio this morning. Denny, I think, did in his mind what uh, what he needed to do and probably went too far. We, we did not make a call there. I mean, that, that race stands. We're, we're not in the business of, of calling an in-race penalty post-race. And, you know, that was good, hard racing for the most part all day at Martinsville. And, and I think Danny might have crossed the line as he, as he put out there on Twitter. And I thought Chase handled himself very well post-race. Uh, you know, showed some passion. That's what the sport's all about. But Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott weren't the only playoff drivers confronting each other after the race on Sunday night. The latter stages on set, uh, Sunday featured a battle between Kevin Harvick and Ryan Blaney. The two of them just going at it short track style. Here's the two drivers when all this was over. I just told him, I said, look, if you're going to park it at Martinsville, you're going to get hit. He didn't like getting hit. Um, you know, and I didn't like the cheap shots, the brake check and, and the hitting down the straightaway. So. You know, it's like I told him, I said, if you want to race hard and you want to run into me after I pass you, that's fine. But slamming me down the straightaway and, and brake checking me is another thing. So it's that's an easy way to race. Seems like you guys had a talk after the race. What was that discussion like? Oh, we just talked how our race was and um, what we could do to avoid that next time. So um, I thought our car was really good, actually, at the beginning of the day. And, and we crossed the halfway mark and we lost a lot of speed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people that had a lot of trouble today. And um, yeah, we obviously would like to be better. but. Uh, we need to get our cars better anyway, or my car at least. So um, we go on to Texas somewhere where we've been pretty decent and see what happens. Both drivers in the fight for that last transfer spot to the championship. Here is that exchange when they met face to face for their own discussion on pit road. I want you to watch what happens at the very end of this. So the two are talking, Kevin Harvick doing most of the talking here. But Steve, at the very end, did you see that from Ryan Blaney? A, a little bit of a, hey, man, don't talk down to me like that. At least that's the way I interpreted it. What was going through your mind when you saw the very end of that discussion? Well, yeah, I saw Kevin Harvick kind of give him the tap, thinking, all right, hey, good conversation. But Blaney's reaction doesn't look anything like that to me. So it seems like why they had a discussion, and Ryan Blaney's kind of a soft-spoken guy to begin with. It looks like Kevin Harvick was doing the explaining, and Ryan Blaney was kind of taking it. But there at the end, he wasn't going to let – Kevin Harvick kind of get the last word or, or perhaps the last shot. But, Jeff, every time we look down, I mean, <laughs> lap 150, lap 300, lap 400, every time we look down, these two cars at some point were beating on each other in one end of the racetrack. It was unbelievable how they raced each other <laughs> I mean, the entire day, and they banged into each other the entire day. And, you know, it was 
one of the most physical race we talk about you know how physical that race was really the number of cautions wasn't that high right. it was just people running into each other all day long and and these two they just kept trading it and you know you could see that what happened and you you heard uh blaney say it is that he got his car wasn't any good in the second half and he just got so slow in the middle of the corner that he'd stack everybody up and harvey's just like you know just pounding him and pounding him and pounding him and it was, a, uh, it was a long day for both of these guys racing each other. But I'm going to be interested to watch these two moving forward because Kevin Harvick, you know, has been well re- reported. You know, he was that high school wrestler, that small kid, and kind of has that same scrappy attitude on the racetrack. And I like to celebrate that because he doesn't hide behind it. He'll tell you it. He's telling you he's going to hit you. You know, he doesn't kind of take a lot of cheap shots. He'll just tell you he's going to wreck you, and then he's going to hit you. But Ryan Blaney, even though he's young, and we talked about Chase Elliott kind of stepping out at the end of this race, Ryan Blaney always seems to be that type of driver that's going to, you know, kind of set his own path, set his own course. He doesn't like to follow anyone else. And I really think that this perhaps could spill over because I'm going to use stubborn as a good adjective because that's what I want out of a race car driver is some stubbornness. But they both are filled with it, which in my opinion makes it more difficult when you disagree. Yeah, we talked earlier, Carolyn, about, you know, everybody's learning how to, to deal with these playoffs. Well, here's two d- young drivers learning how to deal with running in the front and dealing with veterans. It's part of that, too. You have, you know, I don't want to say two different generations, but certainly two different age groups, uh, young drivers versus established drivers, and they're trying to fill each other out as well. And, and you know, how, how does he race? You know, I don't, hadn't raced a whole years and years with him. I knew how Jeff Gordon raced after racing him for 10 years. Well, Kevin Harvick really doesn't know how Ryan Blaney races just yet. You know, they're only two years racing. So there, there's a lot of that stuff going on here as well. Not to mention that it's moving, as we said at the top of the show, right? It's Even though target. if you know how Kevin Harvick <laughs> raced 10 years ago, I'm not sure it's the same way he's going to race now in this format. It was so funny when I was watching the race last night, somebody came in and they said, oh, man, I wouldn't want to mess with that guy when those two were banging on each other. And I said, which guy? Because Ryan Blaney, <laughs> to me, is a guy that's just as stubborn as Kevin Harvick. Again, stubborn the good kind of adjective, but I just thought that was an interesting moment when the two were talking to each other after the race. Um, We'll move on now. After running with Kyle Busch, Joey Logano suffering a tire failure triggered the turmoil that we witnessed in Sunday's final laps. Was the decision to stay on track the right call? Our analysts are going to weigh in on that when we come back. It is a NASCAR playoffs doubleheader weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Saturday night, the Xfinity Series races at 8.30 Eastern. And Sunday, it is the Cup Series 2 Eastern right here on NBCSN. A little bump there out of the 18. Side by side as they come back to the stripe. White flag in the air. Here comes the 78 of Truex Jr. It's a drag race. Kyle Busch will win. Yeah, I'm so damn happy I could cry, driver. Kevin Harris, front tire carrier for the number 18 car. Uh, Kyle Busch drove one heck of a race. Everybody at Joe Gibbs Racing put together a really fast car. Talked about how strong the 18 team has been on pit road all day long, collectively gaining Kyle Busch nine spots. The whole team, it was a full team effort. We're looking forward to heading down to Miami and competing for championship. NBC pit crew All-Stars nominee Kevin Harris and the 18 crew scored their third win of the playoffs with Kyle Busch, and it's their biggest win of the year as they secure a place in the championship four. Led by crew chief Adam Stevens, the 18 crew set the tone for Sunday with the opening stop on lap 38 helping Bush gain five spots. And he went on to lead a race high 184 laps en route to the victory. And in the closing laps, Kyle Bush had to deal with Joey Logano. Bush made contact with the 22, 
which left Legato's car with a severe tire rub, and not long after, he lost the tire and spun out, setting up a caution with nine laps to go. After the race, Kyle Busch weighed in on Logano's decision to stay on the track. I was surprised. I mean, when it's rubbing that bad, you know you've got about five, six, seven laps. I think we saw it with McMurray here in the spring. He, he had the same thing happen to him. So um, what's crazy is I actually smelt it go from rubber to cords and knew it was coming. You know, I knew he didn't have much time left. So, um, you know, I, I hate it that, that all that stemmed that way. But when you're racing for a championship like myself, you know, you, you put yourself in that spot down the front straightaway three wide and, and they all kind of came down and crowded me. And I then was hard on the brakes to back out of it. But ultimately it's, it's too late and they didn't give enough room to, to me. Um, so we all kind of got together there and then uh, I was back on his inside again after he got it all gathered back up and he just ran me in the grass again. So, um, you know, it's just kind of crazy that, um, he, he don't have anything to lose. I have everything to lose. So it's just, it's just a product of racing here and coming down to the end of the race at, at Martinsville. You're trying to get all the spots you can because you know that uh, each and every little point is going to be important. So, Jeff, Joey Logano stayed out five laps. Should he have pitted? Well, in retrospect, yes. But, but his day was done at that point. And, and they made the decision to stay out, hoping maybe to get a caution, something to happen, get on pit road. But that late in the race, they were done anyway. But you know, I think you have to keep putting context that the 22 year, the year they've had has been, you know, not good at all. And they all of a sudden they found themselves in a situation where maybe they could win this race. Then boom, they got this fender rub and, you know, they just didn't think the big picture through. And, and I'm okay with that. I, I think that the, the team's racing each other hard. Remember Kyle Busch talked about that being uh, Keselowski's teammate. Well, Kyle Busch moved his teammate out of the way to, to get the lead. So I don't want people thinking about teammates. I'm okay with this decision because they were thinking about the 22 and what was best for the 22 and not about the two, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, to be very clear, there's no nothing the 22 does better by coming to pit road for the 22. If he comes to pit road, he's going to finish the same place he finished by spinning out or perhaps worse. So I think Todd Gordon and Joey Logano made the right decision for their own car. Now, should they have understood the situation with Brad Kozlowski? I definitely don't blame Joey Logano. He has enough going on as a race car driver. And I even will alleviate some of the responsibility off Todd Gordon. While without a doubt, it's his responsibility to call Joey Logano into the pits, if that's the decision, it has to come from above Todd Gordon or the company as a whole needed to have had that conversation. Because remember, Todd Gordon is not there for Brad Kozlowski. He's there for Shell Pennzoil. He's there for Joey Logano. He's there for Joey Logano fans. He's not there for Brad Kozlowski fans. So while ultimately it did hurt Brad Kozlowski, Unless there was a meeting that we're unaware of that he basically disobeyed those orders or someone from the company asked him to do it and he didn't do it, I don't know how you blame those two cars. I look at maybe some upper management at Penske. If that was their plan moving forward, someone need to say something. Now, I will say, going in the next two races, if I'm Hendrick or Stuart Haas Racing or any of these multi-car teams, I would have this conversation because maybe not a tire rub, but think about a motor blowing up or something like this and you have a car. If Jimmy Johnson leading at Texas and the 88 has a motor blowing up, Someone at Hendrick better say, hey, you might want to pit because if you blow up, we're not sure the 48 can win this race. That's a conversation that needs to have on Wednesday, not Sunday during the race. And, and, and Carolyn, that's a lot different than doing something to intentionally help your teammate, right? right. I mean, that's, 
you know, intentionally spinning out of that kind of stuff. It's not that conversation. It's just if you have an obvious problem, maybe hit pit road so it doesn't affect your teammate. If that's completely different. And just avoid the yellow. Don't bring right, one out right. if you can avoid it. All right. It's very important that we draw that line of differentiation because we have our analysts who are championing the notion that teammates should not be teammates when the playoffs hit. But I do understand the difference. A Sunday's race <laughs> at Mar- Martinsville had, had it all. Superior racing, a chaotic finish. It just left everybody buzzing, including Dale Earnhardt Jr., What were his thoughts on the memorable night? We're going to hear from him next. This is one of the toughest racetracks to go to. A lot of beating and banging. Very rough driving here. Yeah, he said about something. He turned left down the straightaway. The 18 trying to force his way in. There it is. And around goes the 22. Less than three to go. The bumper to the back of the 24. Elliott goes around. He comes out of four. It's a drag race. Kyle Busch will win. Yeah, I just told him. I said, look, if you're going to park it at Martinsville, you're going to get hit. 24 and the 11 having a difference. And you can hear the crowd. It's Kyle Busch for the third straight year. He will race for a championship. The key word we were left with from Martinsville was emotion, and the sport's most popular driver, Dale Earnhardt Jr., shared that with us on Periscope. Take a listen. That was a wild finish, man. I ain't seen nothing like that ever. I don't think I've ever seen a short track finish that was so crazy. Just wild there at the end, crazy. I can't, I don't even know, you know, where we ended up. But you know what that says about NASCAR. That's what NASCAR needs every week. NASCAR needs short track racing, particularly and preferably under the lights. If that was going on more often than not in the sport, you wouldn't have enough tickets. You'd have to build grandstands. You have build tracks just like Bristol with all the grandstands you can you can find. That's so much, you know, better than a lot of the things that we do. And I really don't know how to put it into words, but that kind of drama and action is, you know, what that's what grows the sport and it, it, it gets people talking. And my guy. Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s Periscope summarizing pretty perfectly what so many fans felt last night. Jeff, what should the takeaway be from what we saw on Sunday? I, th- I think for me, it's just, you know, how competitive this sport is and how much is on the line. And, and you know, these playoffs have put these drivers and teams in situations where they got to step up, and we, we put them in positions. The sport puts those drivers and crew chiefs and crew members in positions. Uh, they're going to go at it, and they're going to bring 100%. And, and the lines are going to get blurred. The more that's on the line, the more the, the ethics of, of the sport will get blurred. But the competition spirit I think that's really, that's what I saw Sunday at Martinsville. Yeah, I mean, sports are the best reality television because you never know what to expect. We go into races with expectation of one thing, and it goes completely a different way. So my takeaway, Carolyn, is I don't know why no one's on the phone right now buying tickets for the fall race at Martinsville next year because this race in the round of eight continues to be as advertised. It, it, there's something special about 200 miles per hour at Michigan that you can't describe, seeing a car go 200 miles an hour. But the, the inverse of that is there's something so special about slowing these cars down to 60 miles an hour in the middle of the corner and let race car drivers lean on one another. As Dale Jr. said, the sport was built on that, and it is great to go back to that historic track. All right, let's finalize the poll question and discuss that as we wrap up the show. Would the fans like to see Chase Elliott retaliate? Do we have the results? Earlier on in the show, it was about, I don't know, like 70-30? Oh, now it's 80-20. Yes, they want to see retaliation from Chase Elliott. Does this surprise you at all that this is so slanted this way? 
Steve? Oh, listen, <laughs> I mean, the Coliseum still stands today because people love to see fights. So I think this is no different, right? Um, the fans want to see it because I think what we heard from the fans in the stands is they were big fans of Chase Elliott. I stood in the, I, we were in the booth when Martins, at Martinsville when Kenseth wrecked uh, Logano and the place <laughs> shook. Yeah, that's so, right. No, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> all right, that's all for NASCAR America. Plenty more this week. You can always log on to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. We'll be back tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you then. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.